So to say to a creative, just copy something is very disheartening. So I think they feel incredibly inspired. I mean, they've told us that working with us because we really let their creativity roam. everyone, I'm Kelly Tennant. Welcome to The Platform Podcast, where we get real so you can be well. Each week, I'll be sitting down with the leading voices in health, wellness, women's empowerment, and entrepreneurship. My guests use conversations to bring about social change and elevate consciousness. And they're here to educate you on the latest healing remedies, ancient wisdom, and alternatives to the traditional path. I've personally curated the platform so we can grow, be vulnerable, and authentically connect. I love perfume so much. And when I learned how toxic and detrimental conventional perfumes and candles are for our health, I threw everything away immediately. And then I was left perfume and candleless, and it was so tragic. Luckily, I recently found Floor, co-created by Eric and Cynthia Corman, to consciously curate beautiful, effective products that won't harm you. They work with the most sought-after perfumers in the world to create perfect scents, and I had the best time interviewing Eric and hearing about the entire process. This is an incredibly educational and also informative interview, and it will completely change the way you spray. To connect with Floor, go to P-H-L-U-R on Instagram. And be sure to head to my shop at thisistheplatform.com to check out their entire line. Eric, thank you so much for having us in um, to your amazing space here. I'm so excited to to learn more about Floor and everything you've done. You have such an amazing background, too, coming into this. So I kind of want to get into just how you started Fleur with your wife and and everything that went into that. Yeah, absolutely. So it all, I think like many things, you know, things happen based on your prior experiences. Mm -hmm. And uh, fragrance itself evolved for me very late in life. So up until literally three or four years ago, I never wore fragrance. So last time would have been... I'm 13, you know, I'm going to the middle school dance, Uh-oh. and I'm wearing Jacquard Noir or something like that. That's sturdy. Uh, yeah, something solid. And and then I lapsed out of the category. I guess I gained more confidence talking to the other sex and, you know, stopped wearing these noxious products. And then fast forward literally 25 years later, mm-hmm. I'm at Ralph Lauren. Uh, I'm running their global e-commerce division. And we sold a little bit of fragrance online. And since it was a product I wasn't used to, and I had been in many different consumer product categories up to that point, I was just curious. Mm. And so one day I went over to Barney's uh, in Manhattan, and they have a very high-end niche artisanal selection of products there. Brands um, like Byredo or Frederick Mall that I had candidly never heard of before. So now also as a brand guy, I'm just interested. I'm like, mm. all right, what is all this? Yeah. And I start smelling it, and... The scent smelled totally different than my preconceived notions of the words perfume, cologne, and department store. You know, they were very evocative. They were very exciting. They were very complex. Long story short, I became a geek of the category. I just started buying a lot of high-end artisanal fragrance. And it was really during that journey that I started to identify and notice what I thought were many sort of dated aspects and traditions within the category and a lot of problems and challenges I thought I saw along the way. You know, the first one just being that contrast of why are high-end quality fragrances sold at $150, $200, $250 a bottle? You know, it doesn't really make any sense once you understand, you know, the business behind it. And so I thought there was an opportunity to create a very high-end fragrance, but at a very honest and accessible price point. Equally, not you know, if not more importantly, um, as I mentioned, I lived in L.A. You know, in the aughts, and when my wife and I were in L.A., we really changed a lot of our lifestyle. I think it just kind of happens mm-hmm. to you, especially the way we ate, right? And started going to the local, you know, farmers markets. You know, Whole Foods is like a fixture in Los Angeles, and went organic. And so it struck me odd when I first got involved in fragrance, you know, as a consumer, that you turn around the bottle and written on the bottle is the word water, alcohol, and fragrance, mm-hmm. right? This really opaque word. And what does fragrance mean? Like, what's in it? I, I don't think that's 
in a world that's driving more and more transparent, it seems totally counter-trend not to tell people what's in the bottle. Mm -hmm. And of course, once you start asking questions about what's in the bottle, you start to realize why many people don't tell you what's in the bottle. (laughs) And so really from the beginning for us, it felt like, wow, there's an opportunity really to create a brand from the ground up that's about fragrance, right? It's about why we've been adorning ourselves with it since the days of ancient Egypt, right? And not being about a celebrity, not being about a fashion designer, but about what role can fragrance play in your life in terms of who you want to be, in terms of what you're aspiring to be, not what someone's telling you you should be or look Mm. like, and help you be mindful in every moment. And at the same time, be really steeped in values. And for us, those values at a very base level are, everything should be safe for you, safe for the planet. And that's kind of it. And when I went on your website, it says transparency made beautiful. And I think in this day and age when non-toxic is becoming more trendy and people are starting to realize all of the harmful chemicals we're putting in our body, that is exactly what it has to be. Companies need to be transparent. Unfortunately, there's not much regulation on fragrance or cosmetic products in the United States, let alone in the world. Europe's farther along than us, luckily, but we're so behind the mark. So When you look at fragrance and what goes into a product, what is it that you're including and what are you avoiding? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. So, you know, our approach is this dual lens of ensuring that the product is both safer on skin and at the same time safer for planet. And that dual lens led us to make a lot of decisions relatively quickly in some ways about how we would think about formulation. So, You know, going back to, you know, the organic food movement, if you will, before I knew anything about fragrance, I said, oh, man, of course, like our brand's going to be 100% botanical or, you know, organic ingredients. And then you start to learn, right? Mm -hmm. And you dig in, you're like, oh, well, actually, many botanical ingredients contain allergens, right? And those allergens exist because nature put them there Mm -hmm. to protect the plant. Right, so you wouldn't pick it. Exactly. Um, and so if you want a product that's hypoallergenic and less, cause less skin sensitivities, there's a lot of botanicals you should avoid. Mm-hmm. The same time, uh, many botanicals are coming from you know, places that aren't necessarily, uh, from practices that aren't necessarily sustainable. And so we want to ensure if we are you know, using a botanical, it is coming from a sustainable source and obviously also cut out those that are not and instead use what we would call safely sourced synthetics. And, you know, synthetics are obviously materials that are created in the lab, and there are certain synthetics that have been proven to be safe. There are certain synthetics that are not safe, Mm -hmm. just as the same thing could be said about botanicals, right? right? Like cyanide is natural. It's naturally derived. Probably not so great to put in a fragrance (laughs) bottle. And so, you know, Unfortunately, formulation like the world at large is not black and white. And so what we try to do is dig into the gray, uh, make the best decisions we can based on the information we have. And then to your, you know, upfront comment on transparency, transparently display those choices that we made. So consumers, customers can ultimately make the right choice for themselves. So I know that you follow a red list that the company yes. you work with. What is what that uh, the International Union for the Conservation of Nature? And they're in Switzerland, yeah, correct? They're, and yeah, nonprofit out of Switzerland. So their red list is what you follow and what you use with your fragrance team and saying this is not these, these are the things you absolutely cannot put in our in our fragrances. Yeah. How difficult is that relationship and how closely are you able to follow that? And is it, is it simple or? Yeah, simple? from a botanical standpoint, a, a, adhering to the red list was actually pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it took some things out of play, but it was absolutely the right choice to do. And it's very clear what those things are. And candidly, the perfumers we work with um, care about the world too. Mm-hmm. And so they're excited to be working with a brand that's like, no, don't use that. Yeah. You know, the flip side around synthetics and additives is not where things get more complicated, but certainly where we had to draw lines differently. So we said no parabens, no phthalates, no BHT, um, all three which are commonly found in the marketplace for different reasons. So for example, parabens are used often to extend the duration of scent on skin, right? People want a product that lasts a long time. 
And if you're also using relatively inexpensive raw materials from a fragrance standpoint, using parabens can help extend that duration. We think that's crazy, right? Like, do not, you know, at the very least, maybe you just have to reapply four to six hours in, which is what we say to people, but also with a lot of our fragrances, because we're spending more money on the raw materials themselves and they're higher quality, they should last with you throughout the day and evolve with you throughout the day. Well, and you mentioned, and I didn't even know this about BHT, but it was to help prevent from being damaged, correct? So if you don't have a a dark casing around your fragrance, then it'll be damaged. So that is why your packaging looks the way it does. And it's, I told you earlier, the best packaging I've ever seen. It's so beautiful, it's so clean. And across the board, it looks the same. So I think to the eye, people like that. But how much goes into just the packaging part of what you're doing? Yeah, a, a lot of decisions went into packaging. And it really goes back to what I was saying about we wanted to be a values-based organization. We're actually a B Corp now, so we've been certified as a benefit corp. And as a result, when we were making decisions from formulation all the way to packaging and discovery, we wanted to have our principles in place. So mm-hmm. as you said, we paint the packages white to protect the fragrance from light and not have to use BHT. We also, though, paint them white using a vegetable-based paint so that you then can recycle the product as, you know, the end customer. At the same time, we use 20% recycled glass in our bottles because they don't need to be virgin because you can't see through them, uh, which gives us another opportunity. So one opportunity or decision, if you will, then leads to other ones. All of our paper products are using FSC certified recycled materials as well. You know, as a direct-to-consumer brand, we obviously rely on packaging to Mm -hmm. safely get the product to the customer. And so we want to ensure, to the greatest extent possible, we can reduce our footprint and use of material sources. And that's never something that's done, if you you will, meaning we're constantly re-looking at our existing packaging, which was V1.0, if you will, right? (laughs) And say, okay... That was pretty good, but how could we do this better and more thoughtfully? You know, our sample set's a great example where it's an unbelievably, we believe, luxe experience Mm -hmm. that feels like giving a gift to yourself. But when we look at it today through, you know, our critical eye, we say, we're probably using a little too much paper there, and we're actually working on a second generation to have a great experience still, but how do we reduce our footprint even further? You guys, it seems to me, are trailblazing in... A myriad of ways, not just the non-toxic side, but in your give back, there's so much give back that you're doing. And you talk about being able to recycle, helping the planet. How much work goes into that? And where do you think in your career you started establishing that you would be able to look at every single facet of this and be able to make it happen? Yeah, sure. So uh, a lot of work went into it. And, you know, to put some context behind that, we founded the business in June of 16, and we didn't launch until a year later. Mm. So literally the first 12 months of us in business and having raised capital, right, and now paying people without any revenue yeah. coming in. <laughs> painful. Um, which is painful, um, especially since I was one of those yeah. investors too. Um, but was important in terms of laying the foundation and making all those choices. You know, partly it's due to the fact that we spend eight to 12 months with our perfumers creating a scent, which is very unusual. That's a very long horizon. Uh, but two is giving us the time and opportunity to research and make decisions, you know, all along the path. And, you know, I've had the benefit of having been in many different businesses over time in different sorts of leadership roles. Mm-hmm. And so I've been able to see front to back a business from different angles, mm-hmm. and as a result, I think allowed me to sort of dig in here. And you know, the number one thing I think about leadership is always surrounding yourself with people who have more knowledge than you do in many different areas where you have gaps. And that was certainly true as we brought Fleur to market. So both internally people on the team as well as external advisors. That's what I was gonna ask next is, who did you turn to not having any background really in fragrance yeah. except for your ex- obsession in Barney's right. at yeah. one time? <laughs> Um, who did you turn to that really led the way for you? Sure. So we had uh, the fortune of working with two people out of the gate. Uh, one is a man named Chandler Burr. 
And Chandler is actually the former scent critic to the New York Times back, oh. yeah, back when they can afford a scent critic, um, <laughs> back in the good old days. Yes, exactly. And um, he's also written a few seminal books on fragrance. And one of them I read, and I really loved his prose and his approach. And so I just reached out to him early on and said, hey, this is what I've done. This is what I'm thinking about doing. And we could sort of hit it off. And so he's been our scent critic, if you will, as we're developing the products he gives us very, and if you knew uh, Chandler, this is true, he gives you very candid feedback. He never holds back. That's good. Um, the second is a woman named Anne Serrano McLean. Anne has a uh, her own boutique brand called MCMC Fragrances out of Brooklyn. And so she's a classically trained perfumer from Grasse. Uh, she's from the States, but she went over to Grasse, came back. And she works as our internal evaluator. And so what that means is when we're working on developing a fragrance, we start with an idea or or moment in time. So unlike many other brands, we don't have an olfactive direction to begin with. We don't say, oh, we're going to create a big, beautiful rose fragrance. Mm. Instead, we have a moment in time that we want to translate into fragrance, right? Something that we find captivating and interesting. So we create, and my wife does this, big, beautiful visual storyboards. We select music, and we write them words. And we literally, yeah, yeah, we literally bring the perfumers through this, like, sensory experience, if you will, to stimulate them. And we say, hey, look, you guys are the artists, not us. Mm -hmm. You tell us what this moment should smell like. And then as they start giving us product back based off of that, um, Anne and I will smell it together, and where Anne really bridges in a big way is because she has a real foundation in fragrance, she can give very technical mm-hmm. you know, commentary back, whereas I may just be like, oh, I don't like this kind of thing yeah. about it. She can isolate it down. <laughs> that means right. this. <laughs> yeah, and make it a lot more productive yeah. for, for the perfumers we work with. Does anyone else do that? Storyboard, music, this whole experience? You know, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem that way. I mean, people certainly put together a brief for the perfumers, but Mm -hmm. often from what we've been told from the perfumers, um, usually it's very thin and very narrow and could be a picture and like a word, but also still an olfactive direction. So often what happens, you know, and you've been in a department store, there's so many fragrances that smell Mm -hmm. similar. Right. And, you know, I'd say generally I'd categorize um, a lot of the market as copycat. Mm -hmm. Somebody comes out with a new beautiful scent and everyone else is like, oh, Let's make something that smells just like that. And that's what literally happens. The perfumers are told, like, you know, we like this one scent. Try to make it smell like that, but better. And, you know, perfumers study for 15, 20 years before they consider themselves accomplished. So to say to a creative, just copy something is very disheartening. Mm -hmm. So I think they feel incredibly inspired. I mean, they've told us that working with us because we really let their creativity roam. You know, the only place we limit them is on those material selections from a safety perspective. But outside of that, we say take as much time as you need and spend as much as you want to on material. So that's the other area where they're really uncapped. Do you, this is just coming to me and I can be totally off base here, but I liken this to almost you guys owning a winery. Uh Uh-huh. It seems like that where... I'm no, yeah. I, I like drinking wine. Sure. I don't really <laughs> right. know anything else about it, but you smell it, you taste it, you spit it out. There's like this whole experience. You use certain grapes, you right. farm a certain way. And there's, there's a, there's just a lot of creativity that goes into to making a bottle of wine down to the labeling and yep. all of that. Do you see that in what you're doing? Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of similarities there. I mean, it is certainly a craft mm-hmm. and it is certainly a combination like wine of art and science you know, happening in the background. So perfumers, many of them have, you know, degrees in chemistry Mm -hmm. as well as um, having gone to perfumery school. I think the area we think about a lot, like wine, is around the language side. Mm -hmm. And actually that's something we're trying to change. You know, if you think about, at least for me, when you speak to onophiles a lot, you know, they're using very specific language and talking about the terroir that the grapes were grown in and what yeah. like the light was like in the south of France. And it, it starts to become very overwhelming. And way over your head. Yeah, and intimidating. <laughs> and I went to this one uh, wine class years ago, and I loved it because like, literally you sat down, and the first thing the instructor said was, 
look, the only thing you need to know is what you like. That's all that matters. Great. He's like, so just go out there, drink wine, see what you like, and then buy it. And I can, I can do that. Right, yeah, I'm good. Right, like perfect. And we think about fragrance the same way, right? Mm-hmm. And we actually say that in the packaging when you open it up, all that matters is what you like. You know, mm-hmm. Don't listen to others. Don't worry about, you know, what is a bergamot opening with a floral heart and, you know, a musky leather bottom mean. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Do you like it? Does mm-hmm. it make you feel something? If so, cool. Mm-hmm. So the thing I like too is the names of that you mm-hmm. give your, yeah. your fragrances. And you said earlier that it's like being in San Francisco or Northern California or walking through mm-hmm. Central Park. And that that is the experience you want to encapsulate in this one bottle. Right. What goes into that? Yeah, so it really goes back to the brief. You know, so Olmsted and Vox, which is our Central Park scent, if you will, mm-hmm. was really based on the idea um, that I had, so back when I worked at Ralph Lauren, I was fortunate in that I could go from like the gym and cut through South Central Park to get to the office a lot. Oh, nice. And so it was inspired by this day where it's the springtime, it's beautiful out, you know, it's totally blue skies, sunny. You've worked out so you feel good, right? You have a little adrenaline flow coming off and you haven't checked your email, right? Like nothing's disrupted that (laughs) nice feeling yet about the reality of life. And that amazing feeling of just crisp and energizing and like in the right place at the right time, we wanted to put into a bottle. And so because the idea was inspired um, a lot by the park, A, we went with Olmsted and Vox because those are the landscape architects for New York Central Park. Uh-huh. as well as many other beautiful parks uh, that they've done. And two, specifically for that bottle, we actually do give back to the Central Park Conservancy. So unlike all the other bottles, which do go to the IUCN, mm-hmm. that in particular goes to the Central Park Conservancy. And we've tried to be thoughtful about that for like literally each one of our scents. You know, Moab was started with this idea of a hedonistic journey through the desert amongst friends. <laughs> Right. And we're like, how does that smell? Like, what would that be? Like the dry, (laughs) arid heat. And Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, really the smell of sun on skin, you know, as the fragrance wears down. And Moab happened to be some of the visuals we picked out when we originally did it. And we felt like that was a super appropriate name. That's unbelievable. We talked a little bit about the education portion. And I love your website because you guys do such a good job of simplifying things. I think in the non-toxic world, there is so much overwhelming information. And even for me, just a year ago, transitioning from very toxic products to clean products, I didn't really know where to start. And a lot of companies, I don't feel, are doing enough to educate. So how much do you focus on that? And who's really running that portion of it? Although I know you're running everything at this point still. You have 10 people on your team, right? Yes, we have 10 people on our team. (laughs) Uh, 10 great people. So, yeah, we have a... um, an editorial director and a copywriter on staff freelance with us. And he and I really worked together on a lot of that messaging. We also had a woman working with us early on who had a background um, in sustainability and validating supply chains. Mm -hmm. And so she really helped form a lot of that narrative to begin with. And it's constantly something in evolution, meaning we also go out and look at other sites in terms of people for inspiration, you know, Mm -hmm. people we think that are doing a good job of really just breaking it down. And as we think about it, you know, providing different levels of information. You know, some customers want to stay on the surface and really want the brand to say, this is, you know, je- you know, safe, to use that word, for these reasons, or here's the key materials you should understand. Other folks want to go down a level deeper, mm-hmm. right, and have more knowledge and be able to read further. Other people want to look at your entire ingredients list, mm-hmm. right? And so how do we easily allow you to navigate between those levels and find the appropriate, you know, space for you. And that's something we're constantly rethinking. We actually, I'm, it's nice of you to say we're doing a good job. We're yeah. very self-critical. We're like, we hate the way that page looks right now. <laughs> and so we're thinking about how do we make it even more digestible in mm-hmm. forms and also surface it in additional sort of key consideration points through somebody's journey on the site. So how do we take up key elements of that and bring it up to what we call the product detail page, 
where someone's looking at Hanami for the first time, mm-hmm. how do we give them even a little better information? You mentioned sites that you like, companies that yes. you like. Who do you look at in this world that you're inspired by or maybe that mentor you through this process? Yeah, I mean, I think... You had mentioned these guys earlier. I think Beauty Counter does a really, really nice job overall, um, both with their site and education, as well as the important work they're trying to do in D.C. Mm -hmm. and getting new legislation passed. Uh, Similarly, I think True Botanical has um, great products, you know, beautiful, beautiful products. Their site's very clean and easy to understand and comprehend. So I think from a vertical brand standpoint, if you will, we really are fans of theirs. From a retailing standpoint, both Credo and Folane, I think, are doing, a, you know, in different ways, a really nice job presenting multi-brands, right? So instead of just looking at a brand, how do we put together a curated editorial perspective mm-hmm. and also help you understand differences in their, these different brands approach wrapped around this idea of clean beauty? Yeah, it's interesting. I know you guys are just selling online, but you have some moves that you're making yes. here soon. How much of it is that you want to keep it in-house so you can keep that education? And how much is you want to get it out into the real world where people may not necessarily understand what's happening, but we know it's going there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we're at, you know, very much still the beginning days of clean beauty and especially clean fragrance. You know, clean beauty is probably a few years ahead of clean fragrance. And so we think there's a, a very positive trend happening behind us. And the great news is other larger players than us, especially retailers, are going to start getting involved in a bigger way and really helping educate. Mm -hmm. You know, as a small brand, it's very hard to take on by yourself the education component. I mean, you have plenty of other things you need to just do in terms of brand awareness and like, this is why you'd like our products, please. So being able to partner with some of those retailers as they're taking a lead voice and taking the power of their platform to help educate consumers, I think is hugely important um, and powerful for us. But it definitely is always a balance. You know, we do take very seriously our customers and our communication with our customers and trying to help them. And certainly when you go into somebody else's four walls, if you will, you lose some elements of that. And so like most things in life, it's trying to find the right balance and learning as you go. We haven't talked about your candles yet. Yeah. That falls into the fragrance category. (laughs) But for me, finding candles is impossible because (laughs) my standards are basically where yours are. And there just aren't a lot out there. The ones that are are $80, $90. And it's just not available to most people. What is it that you look for in candles that you're creating and how are you making them available to people? Sure. Yeah, great questions. And I think you're right. Candles are a challenging space. There's a lot of shoddy fragrance materials and a lot of candles, Mm -hmm. um, in in addition to the way that wax blends work. And I'd say to people, just first as a pure education point, you can use the word vegetable blend and still have paraffin in the product. So unless somebody's saying they specifically don't include paraffin, don't assume that that there's not paraffin in the product. For us, we wanted to make the candle vessel and bring candle as a fragrance into somebody's life as a beautiful object, you know. And, you know, a fragrance bottle should be beautiful, but it's also in a different place, Mm -hmm. right? A candle is going to be in your tabletop in your living room, right? And that's a, a place of honor, a place of privilege. So we wanted, you know, to really create something that looked like pottery, Right. And it is. It's it's custom ceramic pottery. Mm -hmm. And we wanted, you know, to keep the brand identity very minimal so that you didn't feel like you're having an advertisement, you know, in your living room. Gross label. Right. Yeah. It's great that you don't (laughs) want to see. It doesn't blend with your whole aesthetic. And yeah, exactly. And two, give you something you can use. Right. But going back to sustainability when the candle's done. Mm -hmm. Right. So we intentionally designed these where at at the end of use, you can get out the minimal remaining wax with hot water, basically. And then you can reuse them and you can, you know, grow like over here, uh, succulents. Look at that. You know, in your um, former candle, or if you're my children, you can eat ice cream out of them because they are (laughs) food safe. So we really, again, tried to think about, you know, well, not just the candle itself, but the whole lifeline of the candle. Mm -hmm. We tried to price them 
you know, as thoughtfully as we can. They're $68, so they're not 90. They're also not 30. Yeah. You know, ceramic they can't be pottery. 30 right. if they're going to be clean, period. Yes. And well, and actually what's interesting is we're coming out soon in June with a second version of this candle where we're going to use the same exact wax, the same fragrance oils, and change the vessel into something that was a little less expensive. It'll be glass, it'll still be beautiful, but it won't be a custom ceramic piece. Okay. And we're actually getting the price down into the 30s. Look at that. Yeah. That's so, amazing. Yeah, so that's going to be really, a game changer. That's what we think. Yeah. Uh, we're really excited to be able to have more people you know, find something that's accessible mm-hmm. at that price point. And we're actually looking at uh, distributing those not only on our own website, but also on Amazon. Amazon sells a tremendous amount of candles. They do. And so, you know, we want to give people the opportunity, you know, to be able to find it in a place they're always going, right? And get it shipped to themselves prime. Right. Now that you have kids, yeah. does, did, does that change things for you and your wife in terms of wanting to have a clean lifestyle and teaching them about it? I think that's one of the biggest re- reasons women usually make right. the change yes. is because they're either pregnant or bulb. having kids. Yeah. How does that affect you? Yeah, I think for us, it definitely started um, when we had children, uh, our, our daughter first, she's our oldest, and we had her when we were living in LA. And so you're surrounded by, right, all the mommy groups that are yeah. like, you have to take everything out of your yes. house that's off-gassing and yeah. put it somewhere else and be very thoughtful about all of those decisions. And obviously, as you're starting to think about this new little person and not wanting them to be harmed in any way or exposed to anything you may have been exposed to, it then in turn, I think, you start thinking about what are you consuming? What are you wearing? What's your impact or what's impacting you? And so I think it really did start there. And we do see that what you said um, often with our, our core customer is a mom who started making life changes when she had her child, and her child could be now 10 or 15 years old, um, but she started making different lifestyle choices. And what we see interestingly in fragrance is a lot of women who stopped wearing fragrance mm-hmm. because they made a clean beauty regime change. And we're like, I don't, none of this stuff seems safe to me. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to wear it. Essential oils effectively wasn't doing it for them. Mm-hmm. And as we've talked about, some essential oils are great and some will make you break out in hives depending on who you are. Right. And she tripped across us. She found us and is now really excited because she loved beautiful fragrance and she loved the role it played in her life emotionally. And now she doesn't have to make a sacrifice now or a compromise. She can now stick by her value set, but also st- re-engage, if you will, in the product. Such a good point. I've, I've gone through the exact same scenario, sans children, right. but for me, it's just, I didn't wear anything for so long, and the essential oils are so great, but it's not the same as that fragrance yes. that you're used to. So it's so nice that you guys are bridging the gap to having fragrance again. It's, yeah. it's beautiful. How do you see the regulations changing, mm-hmm. and do you see it happening anytime soon? Yeah, so as you know, the, the industry right now is basically self-regulated when mm-hmm. it comes to fragrance. You know, the FDA does not, the FDA slash government really doesn't require any disclosure. And that's why when you turn around the bottle, all it says is fragrance uh, within the U.S. As you mentioned, Europe's a little bit different in a good way, right? Mm-hmm. They're a little more tougher. They have more yeah. uh, specific standards. And that was actually helpful because it, it gave us a little bit of a North Star to orient some of our decisions around and and be able to make um, faster moves. I think in the U.S. it's going to, my sense is it's going to be a while. You know, I think the movement is growing. I think what's going to cause pressure is similar to what happened in food, right? So you saw Whole Foods come along Mm -hmm. and really change the way people thought about organic writ large, right? Mm-hmm. You know, 15 years ago, natural food stores were these, you know, dimly lit, you know, poorly merchandised spaces that smelled like patchouli. And, <laughs> you know, people were going in with hippies, yeah. right? And Whole Foods said, no, this is important. This is about something more. Mm-hmm. And really elevated as well at the same time the presentation. And that built and built to a point where now Walmart's, right, the largest provider of organic food in the country. Yeah. And Walmart didn't make that decision because they were progressive. They made that decision because of the consumer demand, right? They saw what the opportunity is. 
And that then in turn, I believe, forced the government to make some changes in, around labeling and making organic actually a standard mm-hmm. as opposed to a very loose word. The same way natural is pretty loose right now. Yeah, right? Natural Anything does, can be natural. Exactly. It's scary. It, is. it means literally nothing. Yeah. And so I, you know, I think we're at the beginning of that wave. My guess is in the next four or five years, something will happen more on a legislative front. Hopefully in front of that, the industries themselves will, you know, who, who ultimately, you know, there's, I know a lot of folks, you know, at the tops of these industries, they're thoughtful people and they care. Mm-hmm. The challenge is getting people who are really competitors to sit down and make decisions together that's mm-hmm. in the category's best interest. And so there's a little bit of an inherent conflict in there, not because of their value set, but because they're competing at the table to be able to change. But I think it'll I think it'll happen. Yeah. And I think people like yourself that own and have founded these great companies will come together and say, look, for the the betterment of all of us and for our own success and for the health of our consumers, we have to do this. There's there's no other way at right. a certain point. And, you know, the suppliers, so if you go way up the chain, you know, we work uh, very closely uh, with a company called Simrise. They actually made an investment in our company. They've been very supportive of all of our transparency moves. Candidly, we wouldn't be able to fully list all of our ingredients on our website without their approval because it's okay. considered their IP. There's a lot of uh, weird structures yeah. around fragrance. But... They've been incredibly supportive, and I know, you know, they're really out in front from a perspective of being like, you know, these old reasons of why we said we didn't say what was in the bottle really don't apply anymore. Mm-hmm. And the way you gain confidence with, you know, consumers and customers ultimately is by being fully transparent. What's been the most difficult part for you in launching this company? I'd say the, the, the hardest part, you know, is is the clean side or making decisions that all felt very natural and just, you know, the right thing to do, right? Just right. what you would naturally do if you were starting something like this. I think the challenge is the same for any brand starting out, which is finding your audience. Building a brand takes time. Yep. And our model in particular is very different from the standpoint of we're selling you a sample set first. And then a full bottle. Mm -hmm. And so if you think about the economics behind that, the first thing I'm selling you only costs $18. Now, because it's only $18, we get a lot of people to buy them. Mm -hmm. And we need a sample set there because you can't smell the scent through the screen. And we want you to have an amazing experience at home and be able to try multiple scents and really believe in that process. But that means, you know, it's going to be one, two, three months before you may convert into full bottle. Mm-hmm. And obviously, even on our best day, only a subset of people are going to convert into full bottle. So getting that wheel in motion uh, takes time. Mm-hmm. It takes time to find the right customers. It takes time to understand how do we move people into full bottles correctly. Um, whereas, you know, to pick a totally different category, you know, mattresses, right? Mattresses online, they sell for $800. So... And they, they're vertical, right? So that means maybe they make $400 a mattress, mm-hmm. variable margin. It means I can spend a lot of money to acquire a customer. You know, if I'm only making $18 right. revenue, that's yeah. not even contribution, I have to be much more tactical and limited in terms of how I attract my audience. Yeah, that's really difficult. What do you think is the greatest lesson you've learned? I think the greatest lesson um, is... As challenging as as starting something can be, going after what you really want to do uh, is always the right choice. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't have to be starting a business, but can be many, many different things. But I think many of us, you know, I was saying this to my daughter about something entirely different over the weekend. You know, many people are frozen by the fear of failure. Yes. And don't want to take the risk. And... Certainly taking the risk is exposing yourself and is exposing yourself to failure. Mm-hmm. And likely you are going to fail at some things along the way, mm-hmm. and that's going to feel really bad. Um, and, but the other side of that, I think the, the positive of those experiences is such a higher high than if you just take the middle ground, right. that it's worth it. Um, and at the end of the day... If you really are focused on what's important to me at 
poor, right? You know, we live in the U.S. It's a very materialistic society. We're all driven by consumerism. If you redefine, perhaps, what success means to you through a different lens, then I think ultimately you're happier at core and more comfortable with who you are. Spoken like a true founder. Yeah. <laughs> What's it been like working with your wife and having her, you know, there's this whole movement of women yes. and this power and this ability to run companies, mm -hmm. to see her step away from Glamour and join you yep. in this venture and just to watch her success as well. Yeah, I mean, it's been amazing. I mean, candidly, neither one of us knew how that would go when yeah. we started. <laughs> and it's been something we've intentionally stair-stepped into um, meaning she was obviously the first person I said, hey, I have this crazy idea about selling fragrance online. Uh, she helped put together and illustrate all the initial pitch decks and what the ideas were. She put together all the original fragrance decks that we bought to the perfume team. But when we were you know, aggressively starting the business, we did bring some art creatives on board to help us get going, mostly because we wanted to stay married. Yeah, probably know, a good right. idea. And we weren't sure how some that was. Some people in between. <laughs> yeah, some people in between us. And then candidly, uh, as we've gone along, she and I are so aligned on the vision of what this could be. It became, it made more and more sense to sort of remove a lot of those barriers, if yeah. you will, and have her more directly involved in the day to day. And so now, for instance, you know, we just launched a new scent the other day called Sundara. You know, a month ago, she was out in Northern California creative directing the photo shoot. And mm. so she's very hands-on to, you know, to the benefit of the brand. And seeing her be able to take her you know, deep, wide experience creatively and apply it, but also to have her perspective of a woman mm -hmm. in a category that's predominantly right. you know, purchased by women uh, has been enormously helpful. Do you notice, I, I don't know what podcast I was listening to the other day, but they said in in self-care and in beauty, it's mostly run by men, mm. which blew yeah. my mind because I thought men are dictating what I put on my face, right. the tampons I use, right. the fragrance I wear. It seems so absurd to me. Yeah. Is, is that crazy to you? It I mean, is. I guess you are right. one of I'm those men, but yeah. you have your wife in right. here. Yes. Yeah. I think it is a bit strange, although somewhat consistent, right, with mm -hmm. the way business, if you will, has evolved over the past 60 years. I think where what I see, which is super encouraging, is if you drop out of the big corporations, Unilever, P&G, mm -hmm. Estee Lauder, et cetera, and go down to the base, most independent beauty entrepreneurs that I've come across and see typically are women. Mm -hmm. And so I think... You know, not only is clean at the beginning of a revolution, you also have just the indie beauty movement, which may be clean, it may not be, but female-led uh, entrepreneur, you know, businesses, entrepreneurs who have ideas about usually a gap, right? And the gap usually exists probably because guys were dictating all those <laughs> yes. things and they don't have a clue, really, right? Right? And so it was like, well, why is this this way? This doesn't make any sense. I'm going to go create a product that fills that gap and a brand that you know meets that need set. And so I think that's really exciting, really encouraging, and I believe will we'll continue and push its way up beyond you know small indie brands. I think you're going to see the same thing you know, happening on the distribution side of the business. You know, mm -hmm. so Tara Foley leads Foley, right? And why? Well, because all the traditional retailers weren't thinking about beauty products the way she was. Right. You guys are in Austin. Yes. You're New Yorkers. Yes. You were in L.A. Yeah. On my side of town right. in Brentwood, which yeah. I loved. You knew. You know exactly where my yeah, place west is. West side of 405, yeah. And now you're in Austin. I love the city so much. And we were talking earlier just about how many clean brands are here and are launching their companies here. What is it like to be with that group of people and why Austin? Yeah, I think, you know, overall, one of the things that attracted us to Austin, putting aside, you know, um, our category or clean beauty products, is really the people and the culture of Austin. It's just a very um, open place. It, people really genuinely want to help you. You know, in New York or even L.A., you know, you'd be like, people are friendlier in L.A., yeah. but it's also sometimes, you know, it's just a high. It's yeah. not really like they're not waiting for your response. Like, no. here you go, you know, and this struck me in, you know, when I first moved here, you go to a coffee shop and the barista will say to you, 
you know, hey, how are you? And they are paused because they're actually waiting to hear your answer, <laughs> right? Not just the like familiar, like, oh, I'm fine, yeah. you know, or I'm great, how are you? Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just a form of speech. And I think that's really pervasive. And there's a great entrepreneurial community across all categories here where people really are trying to help each other. And it's not competitive. It's about how do we get more Austin brands on the map? How do we make this, you know, city have a bigger influence, not only across Texas, but across the whole country? And it's obviously a very progressive city, especially yeah. relationship to sort of the traditional red state, you know, that Texas is thought of. Yeah. So that's been amazing. And I think it's that underlying, you know, culture and community which has in turn caused other brands to start here. And I also don't think it's totally coincidence that Whole Foods started here, mm -hmm. right? Or the conscious capital movement, which in some ways was born out of John Mackey and Whole Foods, is based here. You know, there's a lot of that movement in terms of thinking about your impact across the value chain as you bring something to market, not just how much money are we going to make. Right. That's true for the you know small coffee stand under the corner to a venture backed startup. Yeah, and it's keep Austin weird, right? So right. if you're going to do yes. something like right. this, you might as well do it yeah. here because they're going to accept you and they're going to get Absolutely. you. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, and get behind you. Yeah. You know, so New York's our number one city right now, mm -hmm. but Austin's number two. Wow. Right. So if you think about the yeah. population size differences, <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Yeah. So I know you guys have had investors and you've made some big moves. What's mm -hmm. next for you? Yeah. So for us. I think a, a few different things. One is certainly continuing to expand our products. You know, we've been very fortunate in that when we do find our customers, right, they really engage with us, engage with us deeply, and mm -hmm. want more and more from us. And that can be additional scents. Um, so we launched our our first new scent in two years last week. It smells amazing. Thank I you. just yeah. got to smell Thank it. It's yeah. beautiful. And it's been overwhelming response. We actually Good. are sending out a note today saying to people like we've run out and you'll oh, get wow. some at the end of the week so <laughs> you better get back there right boxing. yeah exactly that's tonight <laughs> we're gonna have a pizza party and pack. there you go so one will be additional fragrances and so we, we're trying to stay on a path now of launching about two fragrances a year two is going to be continuing to extend so we talked about candles the next thing up for us on the plate um, will be body wash and body lotion and yes. so we've had and we had people asking us for that which has been great so she loves Hanami, which is our number one set. She wants to surround her life in that, right? Mm -hmm. She wants the wash. She wants the lotion. She wants the same, you know, clean lens. You know, there'll be plant-derived lotions and washes. And so we're really excited about that starting in the fall. And I think that's A, great for our customers. It also really helps us think about over time our lifetime value with a customer because it right. gives them the opportunity to engage with us much more frequently than fragrance, which is going to deplete right at a much slower rate mm. if you actually shower daily, which most people <laughs> tend to do. And so it's going to be taking, you know, fragrance really as a hero product and continuing to extend that and create families of products with folks over the next couple of years and then moving into physical retail. Mm -hmm. You know, so we've been in uh, obviously 100% online since we've launched. I think that was really important to us, but we always knew we were going to go into physical retail. And that'll take two forms for us. We're going to be, over the summer, uh, working with Sephora on their Clean at Sephora initiative. Yes, yeah. that is huge. Yeah, which we're really excited Congratulations. about. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, And they reached out to you, right? Yes, which they reached out to us. Which is a huge compliment. Yeah, no, we've been there, and they're a great team. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the fragrance team there really wants to push the boundaries and do things differently. So we're really excited about everything from how they're going to visually merchandise and store to how they're going to help communicate the clean message mm -hmm. and use their powerful platform, right? I mean, even just their Instagram account has about 15 million followers now. Wow. You know, so they really do have a big and important voice. So that'll be on one path. And then down the road, we're looking at our own physical retail as well and our okay. own store set. Um, once we have a little bit more uh, breadth of a product set, so probably maybe earliest late 19 into 2020. Would you do it here in Austin? I think we're going to start for obvious reasons yeah. here in Austin, uh, pilot it, okay. really figure out what works, what yeah. makes sense, 
and then slowly um, roll out. Uh, ultimately, we think probably to 15 to 20 different markets. Wow, that yeah. is huge. Yeah. Especially when people are doing so much online shopping, why do you choose to have a, an in-person retail experience? Well, you know, I think for me, even though I've been digital most of my career, I'm also a big believer still in physical retail. Mm -hmm. I think, as we all read every day, physical retail is challenged. But I think the challenge is thinking about what is the purpose of physical retail and how do you create a great customer experience and a reason for them to be in your store. And I think at its ultimate, you know, retail is theater. And the ability to create a store environment that's completely branded and have someone walk into that, I think creates a different emotional level of interaction with the brand that goes beyond even what you can do digitally with Mm -hmm. somebody. And so we want to have these store experiences to help bring the brand to life for existing customers, but also to help find new customers candidly in different ways. And for us, um, looking at markets a bit differently. You know, New York and LA aren't going to be the first places we're going to look. How do we find sort of more interesting, progressive, smaller places like in Austin Mm -hmm. where there isn't a much as much selection, as much opportunity, and really bring them, you know, our product set with a different perspective and a different philosophy behind it that they may not have access to today. I was just going to say, I have so much access in LA to so much of this, but so much of the country doesn't. So I love the idea of educating people that aren't inundated with this information all the time. Exactly. That's great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This was so fun. Yeah. Wonderful to uh, be with you. Thanks for coming in. Good luck on everything. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining Eric and me today. It's amazing to me what can happen when extremely successful, thoughtful people decide to completely change the game. I love what Eric and Cynthia have created, and I love their vision and the execution of the highest standards. Again, to connect with Floor, go to P-H-L-U-R on Instagram. And as a reminder, head to my shop for access to their entire line. In just a few days, I'll have another inspirational conversation for you here on The Platform Podcast. In the meantime, you can find me on Instagram at thisistheplatform or my website with tons of resources at thisistheplatform.com. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review as this is a new show and I want to share it with as many new friends as possible. And if you screenshot your review and send it to hello at thisistheplatform.com, I'll send you my exclusive master list created just for you with all of my best resources. See you soon. And thanks for listening to The Platform Podcast. Podcast.